Hi, my name is Michael Kramer and welcome to the We Make It Work Corporate Real Estate Podcast. Today I'm in discussion with two Brian's, Brian Elliott, co-founder of Future Forum and a former executive at Slack and Google, as well as Brian Berthold, who's the global lead workplace experience at CNW and leader of our experience per square foot workplace experience diagnostic. Welcome to you both. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us here, Michael. Great. Brian, and I'm going to have to do Brian E and Brian B, but Brian E, um, first, congratulations on your book, which I took a look at, came out last year, How the Future Works, Leading Flexible Teams to Do the Best Work of Their Lives. Um, Why don't you kind of tell me what the genesis of that book was, and maybe we'll dive in from there. Sure. And the right starting point on that is to describe a little bit about Future Forum itself. Uh, Future Forum is a consortium that I was one of the co-founders of uh, about three years ago now. And what we did is back at the start of the pandemic, we just had a lot of executives that I was working with at Slack. They were asking a lot of questions because we were all going through this massive upheaval all at the same time. Um, People questioning a lot of things about conventional wisdom and whether or not, you know, remote work was going to work or not. So we founded Future Forum to do research on it and to get deeper into what was working, what wasn't and for whom quarterly survey of over 10,000 office workers, desk workers called the Future Forum Pulse that we did for about three years running. Uh, And that taught us a lot, but we also learned a lot by engaging with executives at literally hundreds of organizations over the past three years. The book itself is a culmination of all of that work. It's pulling together some of what we learned from the research as a foundation, but it's really about the habits, practices, and new ways of working that we found were actually working for organizations across a variety of industries. So that as people were coming out of the pandemic, things actually got more complicated, I think, for all of us. But how do we take sort of the best of what we had prior to the pandemic and combine it with everything that we learned to sort of move forward in a more productive, more inclusive, and more connected way? Great. And I guess in parallel to that, we'll come back to that because I really want to dig into how you run teams and organizations in this hybrid way. But Brian, I guess at the same time and before the pandemic, Cushman were set up and were running Experience per Square Foot. Just describe that a little bit and and how that gives us insight into the employees turning up in the office or or not, as the case may be. Yeah, Experience per Square Foot, it's a survey, but it's more than just a survey uh, in the way that we actually measure the employee experience across five experience outcomes, which is pretty unique. And then we regress various people, place, and technology attributes, and these are standard things that HR groups, technology groups, real estate groups usually survey, but they use um, do these things as disparate items. So we brought them together. We regress them against the actual experience of employees to see what's driving the employee experience. We started this back in 2017, focused on the office. Um, And it's funny, I took my global role in April of 2020. Not a very useful time to have an office survey, but we uh, quickly turned that on a dime and started measuring everybody at home. Got about 60,000 people over the next six months. And just like Brian, lots of amazing insights to say, hey, how is this working? And really helping clients for the first time who had no way to measure the uh, performance of people at home to understand, hey, Are they struggling? Are they productive? What's going on? And it's funny, uh, about a year ago, Brian and I met at a L.A. conference and realized we are on two separate panels in that conference, sharing the same insights and the same thoughts. And we've been talking ever since because there's a lot of parallel paths between 
feature forum and experience with square foot. So, Brian, when you were at Slack, were you using the data or has that come after with Future Forum? No, absolutely. We're using it at Slack. So Slack was one of the backers of Future Forum along with Boston Consulting Group, uh, Miller Knoll, um, and a group called Management Leadership for Tomorrow. Um, and so it was really interesting, as Brian B. said, to have a you know piece of research that was backed by a technology company and research being backed by Cushman basically saying a lot of the same things about the value of flexibility and choice to people, but also the impact it has on organizations. We were definitely using it at Slack too, because prior to the pandemic, Slack was as office centric as anybody out there. I think we were sub 3% of our workforce was remote, which is surprising to a lot of people. But like a lot of folks, we just sort of had the assumption because we'd never seen a different way that nine to five, five days a week in the office was where work happened. And I guess what are the, maybe pick out a couple of the sort of the key points that came from that data with Future Forum that started changing the way in which you were thinking about physical office space. Yeah. So there are a couple of things to it. Um, first of all, employees themselves had their eyes open as did executives. I mean, we saw this as executives at Slack that, you know, we were pretty pleasantly surprised that employee productivity went up and not down as we shifted into the pandemic. Some of that early on was probably more attributable to people not having a lot of other things to do. But even as we rolled forward, you know, now three years later, when we look at the data, there's a couple of things that have changed, I think, uh, permanently. First of all, people's expectations have changed. Um, 75% of people are open to new jobs if they don't get the flexibility they want out of their current employer. That's pretty astonishing. And that number has gone up, not down, even in the face of all the saber rattling around economic concerns and potential for layoffs. But it's not just what people want. And uh, we should get into, and we should with Brian, you know, what people do want, which is most people want some sort of hybrid solution. They want to come together episodically with their teams for belonging uh, and relationships, but also has real big uh, positive impacts for organizations. Um, people's productivity scores, meaning their self-assessment on productivity, on their work-life balance, on their ability to focus, a number of other key attributes goes up if you give them uh, flexibility. And location flexibility is only one part of that. An even bigger factor is whether or not you give them the ability to break with the habit that nine to five, five days a week can also be jammed full of meetings, turning your calendar into Swiss cheese. But that productivity gain is real, and it's been you know backed up by uh, academic studies as well. Um, but the other thing that happens is that flexibility also turns out as a boost to connection and to culture. When we ask people whether or not their company's um, culture has improved over the past couple of years, um, if your company gave you more flexibility, you're 57% more likely to say that your company's culture has improved. And in fact, that flexibility is the number one attribute in driving up that improvement. And you know, if you dig a little deeper underneath that, what you'll find is that's because if you're going to give people flexibility, you've also got to start basing your um, measurement of their performance on things like outcomes, not whether or not they're showing up. And that's an element of trust. It shows that you trust them to do the work and you're going to hold them accountable to that. And at the end of the day, there's nothing that builds culture more than trust does. So flexibility is actually pretty key for not only retaining your employees, but it turns out it actually can be a boost from a productivity connection and culture perspective. And Brian B., I've got a couple of questions, but the first one being, is that what the XSF data is telling us as well? Yeah, it's precisely telling this. In fact, um, you know, the topics of mandates keep coming up. They're, they seem to be growing in popularity, whether or not they're good for the health of the organization. Um, but we actually took our aggregate data and split it 
between the people who are living uh, under mandates versus those that have flexibility, both from location and from schedule. And it was interesting to see that the workplace experience scores dropped 27% for those that are operating under mandates. So we're talking 75% of people having a good workplace experience dropping the 48%. And the same with schedule flexibility, it dropped 26%. Um, even on employee engagement, we're seeing similar numbers around 25% drops in those that are operating under mandates. And it, it's coming from a simple reason that we're finding people go to the office for different reasons than they stay at home. We're finding more of the concentrative tasks, the things that you do for heads down, perform well at home. I like to say you can do your job description at home. But coming together, collaborating, innovating, learning, socializing, that's why people go in the office. And schedules aren't necessarily predictive where you can say on Tuesday, Thursday, collaborate in the office, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, do your heads down. It doesn't work for people. They need the flexibility to know and, and be trusted, as Brian, you said, um, about when they need to come in to be with their team, when they need to do heads down work at home. I read something the other day, a person described hybrid as a truce, meaning a truce between the employer telling us when we need to come back in and the employee wanting like total flexibility. Brian, do you think that's what's going on? Is hybrid a, a truce? Because it doesn't sound very positive if it is. Yeah. Tr truce doesn't sound terribly positive either as a term, right? There, there definitely is. Like if you look at the data, majority of people want to be in an office space or in a shared space together, you know, one or two days a week. And if you look at all the companies that did mandates, and I've talked with a number of them, if they said three days a week, they got on average 1.5 days a week. If they said four days a week, they got on average 1.5 days a week. If they said five days a week, they might have gotten more because people were scared. That's about it, right? And what Brian B is saying is, is absolutely true, and it's borne out in our data as well. People want to come together for a different set of reasons than executives want them there. Executives want them there because they are concerned about productivity. And I should put that in air quotes, which is hard to hear on a podcast, but when they're saying that, what they're really saying is, I'm not sure that I trust you to get the, the job done working at home when people spend a couple of years proving that they can. Given the fact that people do want to come together for socialization and relationship building as much as they want to do it for collaboration, giving them those opportunities and training managers on how to think about what's the heads up purposes that we want to use for coming together isn't a truce. It's actually getting people more engaged with their organizations. So if there's a meeting point in the middle, uh, I'm all for it. It's not going to get there with a mandate, though. It's going to get there through um, helping your managers understand what purposes for coming together and using that as a rallying cry that people want to hear. And is that, I mean, I've got this idea, which I think a lot of people have, but we need to retrain managers to manage their teams in a different way rather than default back. Because I think a lot of it is, we'll come in two to three days a week and people show up, as you said, one and a half but I'm going to manage them in the same way as pre-pandemic. But that can't be right, can it? Don't we have to shift management thinking? I'll give you a quick answer, and then I'd love to hear Brian B's take on this one too. I think the only word that's wrong with that is the re in front of retrain. <laughs> we have to train managers, period. We've had this problem for decades. We just ignored it. For decades, we uh, trained people to be managers, quote unquote, by making them the manager and saying, congratulations, you're the most senior person on the team. You're now in charge. And we didn't give them the support uh, other than congrats, you're in charge quite often uh, to actually do that job. It takes work to train people to be good managers, to figure out what the outcomes are that they're trying to drive at a team level. 
to figure out the emotional skills, to be creative, to be inclusive, to get people together. Um, and we've known that that's been a problem for decades. It's just become more apparent over the course of the past couple of years. And so I think it's more about, yes, we need to train managers. We've always had to. It's just more incumbent than ever. Well, and just to pile on there and talking to some HR groups, um, the pandemic actually exposed bad managers because a good manager can set expectations, define outcomes, you know, clear objectives. If you aren't good at that in person, we kind of keep the train on the track by proximity, seeing each other every day, course correcting on the fly. But when someone's out of sight for two weeks and you haven't set clear expectations, things tend to go awry. So, yeah, very much. I, I agree. It's trained the managers to be what HR and performance management has always sought to see them do. A follow-up question in a second on that, because what I want to ask you about is well-being generally. We've got a, a rise, it seems, globally in the problem of, of well-being mental health, right? It's getting worse, not better. So what's the data saying about working from home versus working in an office, working from home being a solitary event, let's say, and you're more likely to suffer from mental health issues than if you're surrounded by people. Is is that a fair comment, Brian? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. Um, and, and this has been interesting because this is my biggest worry and concern is we, we've seen similar to Brian's research that productivity has been man, maintained, but well-being is deteriorating. Just over the last four years, starting pre-pandemic, you know, about 72% of people say they had a good sense of well-being. That dropped to 55% in 2020, 44% in 21. Last year, 39% of people report having good well-being. So if you're on a call with three people, chances are two of them are probably struggling, but we all have our corporate smiles on. Um, Another factor that kind of surprises in differentiating the impact of remote work versus in, in the office, we find that people who have low well-being are doing better work, three and a half times better performance if they're coming into the office more. It actually improves their well-being and their productivity. And then we saw 3.4 time improvement on innovating and having uh, better ideas. So the deteriorating decline just to me proves that a work from home program is not sustainable and that we have to get people in. And we're seeing higher well-being scores for those who are coming in the office three days or more a week. And a lot of it is because scores are better for work-life balance. They're better for time away from work. Um, and I think a lot of that is separation of I close my laptop, I decompress on a commute, I'm more present at home. Um, and even though productivity has been maintained, two-thirds of people are telling us they're working more hours to get that productivity level, adding more stress in a virtual environment to accomplish that. I'm going to pick on something that Brian said there, uh, which is, I think, the bigger factor, which is time. We see the same thing from a future form perspective in terms of burnout being on the rise. Um, it actually went up post-pandemic, not down, as most people expected. And part of the challenge there, um, you know, is not going to be solved just by getting people to come together. It's pretty clear because that's not enough. At the same time that we've seen that increase in burnout, um, it's actually been higher on specific groups. So uh, it's higher for women than it is for men by far, like 30% higher for women than it is for men. It's higher for caregivers uh, than it is for non-caregivers. 
and it's higher for younger workers more than older who are more under pressure from an economic perspective if you think about like concerns about layoffs but the biggest group that it's been challenging for are middle managers um, we've seen this now and in, in continue to grow for the past couple of years middle manager burnout uh, continues to rise and when we dug a layer deeper on it, one of the issues that came up to the forefront wasn't time together with my team. It's I don't have time. If you ask middle managers, do you have time to do your core work during the work week? You have the lowest score of anybody else. They have a worse time with that than individual contributors or executives. And it's not surprising because they often carry some load themselves as well as being a manager. And if you're you know, jamming nine to five, five days a week full of meetings and worse yet, if you are as an executive sending them emails and slacks and team messages at eight or nine o'clock at night, you're basically burning them out. Um, and so what we need to do is start putting some containers over how many hours during the work week are available for meetings. And really importantly, whether you are a separator or an integrator of work and life, we need to allow you to um, get a bit of a break uh, and draw some boundaries around it. So a lot of what we talk about in the book is the fact that time matters more than place when it comes to productivity, when it comes to reducing burnout, and getting managers to not only think about the purpose for coming together in an office, but think about how do you use your time with your team? How do you communicate? And how do you support people in setting boundaries so that they can be effective is even more critical. There's two points there I wanted to um, emphasize on what Brian E is saying. Um, one that we found everyone calendar blew up once the pandemic hit full of meetings and the time spent is on projects. So these middle managers, these leaders and supervisors are not checking in with their people, say, hey, how's it going? It's all about the work. So people feel less cared for when we ask them. They don't feel like anyone's really checking in or cares what they're doing. And then Another interesting data point is the younger you are, the more you want to come into the office, which to me goes against the grain of media saying all these executives want everyone back and the young people digging their heels in. But actually, 63% of Gen Z want to be hybrid or coming in three more days a week. And on the flip side, baby boomers, 60% want to stay at home full time. So... These young people are coming in, the junior talent and the mentorship, the coaching, the guidance isn't there because those people aren't coming in at the same rate the younger talent wants to come in. So all of that is leading to higher burnout. People who get that or don't get it will go seek another job. So in a way, the mandates that we're seeing coming out, it seems to be a lot in the financial services sector. I don't know if that's a, a trend or not, although I saw this week AT&T have also come up with a four-day-a-week mandate, which sits alongside BlackRock, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and others. Um, in a way, that helps the managers deal with this mental health issue, doesn't it? Because they will have, they should have their teams in more often. Are they doing it with that in mind, or, is, or are they doing it because they have an old-fashioned view of management and it's all about presenteeism? I think a lot of that is, if you think four days a week or worse yet, five days a week, it's not because they want better mentorship for their employees. It's just not. That's, that's an extreme version of this. And if you're at that stage, you're probably as an executive thinking about you know, what worked for you which we reference as the focus group of one among senior executives. What worked for me when I was coming through the system in the 1980s and the 1990s, and by the way, I came through the system in the 1980s and the 1990s, is not probably what's going to work for, for your team. And the other part that's driving some of this is policy uh, driven by anecdotes. 
meaning the senior executive who heard the story about the one employee who was cheating the system. And so what they're doing is they're putting forward a policy that um, that really is designed to you know manage the one to two percent problem. But in doing so, you're really not making happy the other ninety eight percent of your employees. What we found in a lot of these cases, even in financial services, is that what you're doing is um, breeding a bit of resentment because, as as Brian B was noting, younger employees are at least likely to want either one of the polls. They don't want to be fully remote. They don't want to be full time in the office, but they're coming in more often. And if they're coming in more often, what they're seeing is I'm obeying the policy, but the more senior people who have tenure, who are experienced, who no one's going to fire because they are quite productive, are not showing up, you're just creating more resentment. One of the best tips that I heard recently was think about things like, what's your mentorship program? How do you think about telling those more senior, more seasoned employees to pick their day of the week, Tuesday or Wednesday? when they're going to come in and set up a two-hour block for mentorship uh, that people can sign up for that are more junior on the team. That gives those older workers purpose in coming in that actually aligns really well with what a lot of them want to do and helps reduce the amount of resentment. But again, we're coming back to purpose, not policy. I, I will say, too, that um, the financial industry, hey, let's face it, they're bankers. And if you have a portfolio where the average right now is 25, 30% utilization, that doesn't look good to have all these assets on the balance sheet costing a lot of money, a lot of real estate there that's not being leveraged. The other thing that I think gets lost, um, like Brian and Ian and I have talked about this. We throw the well-being stats in the face of clients. They nod and they say, wow, I never see actions taken to improve well-being. And the thing that I think is another misnomer is, hey, maybe this will help middle managers, as you said, Michael. Their score is 39% well-being, too. So it's not everyone assumes, oh, how can we arm managers to improve the well-being of their employees? Well, they're struggling just on the same scale. So to me, take care of the managers so that they're prepped. They can manage expectations. Then they'll do a good job taking care of their people. I guess my sense is that things haven't settled down, right? I think we're in a transition phase for sure. I'm not sure that we've got to the end of the journey as to what, if you like, the the best way to do this is. I suspect, well, it's certainly different in different regions of the world, and it certainly seems to be different between businesses. So we've moved from a one-size-fits-all in terms of being in the office to lots of sizes fit lots of different companies. But what would you... And let's start with you, Bryony. What what would, if you look to the future as the data continues to sort of unfold and tell us the story, what would you be seeing executives could do better or should be thinking about? And you mentioned mentorship, which I think is a lovely idea and, and great. Are there other things that came out of the research that we should be thinking about? Sure. There's a few things. Let's just start off with the fact that um, I think for a couple of years now, people have been hoping for, you know, things will settle down. In the next 90 days, it'll settle down and we'll find the right place. It's not going to happen uh, ever. And let's just face it, right? Um, we're in a world in which competition continues to evolve. The introduction of AI is going to continue to change some of this as well. There are some really core themes, though, that we see consistently working in organizations. First, and maybe most importantly, is to focus on outcomes, not attendance and not policies. Figuring out what your organization's goals are, being really clear about them, focusing on them relentlessly, asking your teams to pursue them, holding them accountable to them is really what executives should be doing and honestly what most employees want as well. 
we hire smart, capable, competent people. Um, Katarina Berg at Spotify, who's the chief people officer, had this phrase that I love, which is we hire adults, don't treat them like children. Um, second of all is, you know, listen to your team. Uh, they know uh, what they're looking for. They know how to operate. Uh, they don't look like the C-suite in the first place. Their demographics are different. Their backgrounds are different. They have different challenges and different needs for support. Understanding what's going to make them more effective will make you more capable of hitting those goals. And when 60% of executives tell us they haven't been listening to their teams, that sends off a couple of triggers for me. And the third is put the locus where it should be on this, which is there's no one size fits all um, in a large scale organization. The needs of a financial services organization that has brokers, tellers in frontline work and banks, back office IT, marketing people, those teams are very different. What we need to do instead of thinking about company-wide policies is think about what are the principles and guardrails we want to have in place and how do we support managers in building team-level agreements that go to what are our goals, how do we work together, when and where. Interesting. And Brian B., what's your, what are you seeing from the, the trends in the data? Where does that take us in terms of the future? I think the biggest one for me in this is why mandates, I think, are such a struggle is I think executives have to lean in and really create a sense of purpose for coming into an office. Um, in the in the classic days, I love a term Brian E. coined, uh, executive nostalgia. <laughs> um, you know, when you hired people, they automatically came in. Now they don't necessarily have to, so you have to give them a reason. And if bringing people together is all about collaboration, socializing, innovating. Um, then to me, work environments at the office becomes more that of a community center or convention center. So what's the agenda? Who's the guest speaker? What are the events? And leaders kind of have to set an agenda. So, hey, the CFO's here. There's a training event. We're brainstorming on a new product. Um, so I think that's new instead of just saying people still picture in their mind the stacking diagram of what their office looked like in 2019. They don't know what's changed. We're telling you the purpose of the office has changed, so creating that. And lastly, if I use that stacking diagram, if you showed me a building stack that said marketing and technology departments, there's nothing there that entices me to come in. But as the world is focusing on the human experience and workplace experience, I think if Service providers, HR, technology, real estate got together and said, hey, we're going to choreograph an entry experience, a training experience, an innovation center, neighborhoods, um, customer support zones, and actually choreograph experiences around all that. I could see my team getting excited. Hey, we're going to go into the innovation center tomorrow. And it has all the tools, the tech, the services, food and things to outfit that. It's taking the guesswork out of it. Right now, simply saying mandating, I want you here two days a week, I haven't heard why. The why's missing. It's time to actually give people a why to come in. And they want to come in, you know, at least on, at least 1.5 days a week. And Brian and Michael, if I could add one thing on top of that, which is, Brian used this term executive nostalgia, and, and, and thanks. The term Brian on my team actually originally coined that. The, the, the answer to you know, executive nostalgia, which is you know, going back to the way that things used to work for me, isn't just buildings or technology. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. We need executives themselves to start thinking about both of those as really important tools that they use for bringing their teams together. A lot of us as executives grew up in an age in which we built connection and culture through 
bringing people together in offices and bringing people together in events. And, you know, those are still important and those are great ways to, um, to help, you know, drive some of that connection and culture. But executives themselves also need to get into the technology and get into the tools. And if they do, you know, I, I, I hear this all the time, uh, having worked at Slack for a number of years. Slack's great, but it's great for the teams. You know, I'm over here. I'm an email. Come and find me. And what a lot of those executives are missing is that, you know, we're now two generations of digital natives in the workforce. And those folks um, have really easy ways in which they build and maintain connections, uh, but also have conversations about the work inside of whether it's Slack or Teams or the tool of your choice. But executives need to rethink like what their role is in all this. You can't go back into the office, go back up to the executive suite with your office that closes the door and expect you're going to build a connection. In the same way, you can't sit over and say, I'm over here and email, come and find me and expect that you're going to be part of the conversation. You got to get into both. And just to add on to that, um, we're in the day of AI sensor technology and hearing from Future Forum that 60% of the execs are not taking the input from their employees. The Future Forum experience for Square Foot are digital platforms to grab the voice of the employee and use data and insight to direct the future of your company. Why, why guess these days? It's a quick, simple task to do, and the benefits far outweigh the risk of actually asking your people how it's going and what they're looking for. And you're right. And maybe to, to wrap up there, I mean, fascinating conversation. And I, I saw something the other day. I think the, the company's called Goldfish or Goldfish Bowl. People from different companies are all on a product like Slack, Brian, talking about their companies and what's working and what's not. And all you have to do is put in your email address and then you get into the system, but your company is anonymous as you're talking about it. So it's sort of glass door, but more so. So there's so much data out there that people can look at to see what's actually happening if they don't understand it themselves. So incredible time, I think, for all of us. Um, look, we could talk about this for forever, I'm sure. Let me draw it to a close. Thank you both so much for joining. Um, looking forward to seeing how this unfolds. Looking forward to finishing your book, Brian, and, and seeing more of this data come out so we can get this right. That's right. So really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you.